and welcome to the 34th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Adventures of Pip by TikTok Games. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves. Who are you? And, most important of all, what do you do? Hi, I'm Sharif Morris. I'm the executive producer of Adventures of Pip, and I also run the studio TikTok Games. So I was fortunate enough to put together this awesome team to make uh, Mark, who's here with us, uh, his vision come to life. And I'm Mark Gomez. I'm the creative director um, for TikTok Games and the designer of Adventures of Pip. Well, thank you for joining us. It's it's fantastic to hear you both. Um, What I'd like to ask you now, that's the easy question done with, told you it starts off easy and then it gets (laughs) Um, how did you make your start making flashy lighty video games? Flashy lighty? Yeah, as opposed to tabletop. <laughs> <laughs> um, my origin came from Sharif, so maybe he's he should well, start it off. You know, it's my my origin's weird. Like I got out of the army for, and uh, I was trying to get into game development as soon as I got out of the army. So I met Voldy Way, who runs Way Forward Technologies, and he gave me a job as a PA. Um, basically making coffee for everybody in the office and uh, learning well, how to where program. Were you, where were you stationed in, ar- in the army then? Was it just like Germany or did you actually go to Iraq and stuff like that? Or I was in, uh, I was in Schweinfurt, Germany for a while, but then I got stationed in Bosnia to show you how old I am now. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> <laughs> just just so. to give an idea of like, what, what you experienced in your background. So, so, what, what, so then from, you wanted to get into game development. In what capacity? Well, you know, it was really, I love games, I always loved games. I played games like as early as the Atari 2600 and, and just all the way through. And then, you know, when I was in the army, it was really strange because, like, you know, that was what you'd do whenever, like, you had a moment. You'd still play games, you know? So, like, even the headquarters at times, we'd all just all of a sudden jump on and play, like, land games for Warcraft 2. Or <laughs> we'd, like, you know, always have our, our Game Boy Colors with us. So, I mean, it was always kind of like something that you did and I was like, man, when I become a civilian again, that's all I'm going to do is I'm just going to find a way to get back into video games, you know? So, um, I started programming and, uh, took a programming class. One of WayForge's programmers was actually taking the class with me and he sent me Voldy Way's contact information. So Voldy, uh, then talked to me a couple times and said, okay, I want you to, I want you in the studios at some capacity. Can you, do this production assistant job while you learn how to program. I said, yeah, I could definitely do that. But what ended up happening was, is I ended up becoming a producer. I just ended up managing all the projects that went through the studio, including the first Game Boy Color projects um, for for Way Forward. Uh, Derek Dutilli was a senior producer on Extreme Sports, which is uh, uh, Way Forward's first color Game Boy title. And I worked with him on that. And then um, after that title, I, I pretty much produced every Game Boy Color project and Game Boy Advance project. And uh, that came out of Way Forward. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, quite, that's quite, a, quite a history there. Interesting device to program for because it's very limited, yet you could do extraordinary things with it. I, I seem to remember. Yeah, I, I still have a. I actually have a GameCube with the Game Boy thingy stuck underneath it, uh-huh. and you can you can plug any Game Boy cartridge, everything from Game Boy, you know, the original right up to Advance. You can just plug it into this thing, and then it throws it up on my fifty-inch screen. Like, well, this is silly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that thing. Oh my gosh, it was nice to be able to play like Game Boy Advance games on your actual TV. I, I love it's lovely, isn't it? It's fantastic. It's some really good games. Tetris on a giant 40-inch <laughs> screen. What are you doing, you strange man, Mr. O'Regan? I don't mind. That's such a great console because like, you could actually plug your GBA into the GameCube and you could play your games. You know, your, You'd actually have that second screen on your Game Boy Advance that you could, you'd be using as a controller. So on your widescreen, TV, you would see the Game Boy screen, then you'd see the GameCube 
border around that, and then you would see black bars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have this gameception going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's a game thing. within a game within a game. <laughs> it's just aggressive nonsense, isn't it, really? To stop it, you know? Stop it. Yeah. So, um, but, but that's interesting to work on a, a tight, constrained device that you could actually just hit the hardware as much as you possibly could to get the most out of it, which is not really the way on PC land, is it? Because you can't do that. You can't do that. I mean, back then, like, Jimmy Huey, who did a lot of the programming of those games back then, he had an engine that he ported over to the Game Boy Color, and, like, he would make a joke from time to time that, like, PC programming is very lazy in comparison to, like, GBA or, or Game Boy Color programming because you have so little that you can actually use, you know, in, a, in those smaller platforms. So it was a real test to see how much you could really cram in there. But Jimmy was like the sage. He always found a way to make everything super awesome. Yeah, now everything's all, I say everything, um, I'm sure I'll get a lot of developers yelling at me down the, the phone now by, by saying this, but it's kind of bloated now because it can be because you have all these libraries and we were talking about drivers before we started the show. And like, yeah, just, you know, just, call up that and deal with that side of things. You don't have to worry about it. Don't, don't no. worry. It's just feel like you're, they're patting you on the head. Don't worry about it, little man. It's all right. We've got <laughs> this covered. But I wanted... No. No. <laughs> well, nowadays we use Unity, which is also like really kind of like the uh, the engine of, uh, uh, of the person who doesn't want to think about the low level, you know? So... Yeah. And it, it, who wants to write an assembly? Really? Yeah. Who wants to do that? And it just allows us to really focus on the game, which is exactly. nice. You know? It reduces the barrier of entry, which cannot be regarded as a bad thing. It really can't. I so. agree. It was really fun working with more limitations, though, because when you come up with something beautiful based on these limitations, it's, it's amazing for people to see. <clears throat> I, I didn't jump in in the Game Boy Color time, and I know that was even more limited, but I, I jumped in around the Game Boy Advance period, and even then, I, I can appreciate some of the stuff I see from that time period. Yeah, Mark uh, joined WayForward. Um, we worked together at WayForward, what, 13 years ago? So 15, 13. About maybe. 13 years ago. And uh, he's just this brilliant guy out of CalArts that we saw, you know, and, and we were like, we got to get him in the studio somehow, and he's still in school. So let's have him start just doing QA testing for now, and then, you know, he'll have Matt start teaching him backgrounds and all these other things um to kind of get his him making more and more game art and then because uh, yeah I didn't, I didn't know anything about pixel animation until i got there but i had a background in traditional animation so it was it was easy to pick up yeah well, you was uh, awesome. see there's a definite line between one and the other um it is animation whether it's Yes, uh, and I, I was just going back a little bit. I mean, there's still people out there who do make games for those old systems, of course. Yeah. Um, and this extraordinary community built up around, yes, look, I, I made, you know, like Super Hexagon. People made that for the Commodore 64. I know. I've played it. <laughs> <laughs> One of my co-workers at WayForward, he, he works, he goes to a lot of these hobby dev forums and... Uh-huh. These guys who still like to make Atari games and put them on cartridges. Yes, they do. Yes, they actually make get people to make cartridges. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Crazy. It's like awesome. people making Mega Drive games. It's lunacy. But hey, <laughs> you know that's whatever rocks your boat. Um, and it also relates to a question I got about Adventures of the Pip later on about that side of things. But we'll we'll talk about it later. So. Well, do you want to talk a little bit more about how you, what you've been doing for the past decade and a half, or do you want to move on to the next fun pack question? I'll probably finish up with Mark a little bit more. Yeah, Mark yeah. has a lot. So, um, I mean, mine will jump back into you. So I, I met Sharif at <laughs> Forward, <laughs> and so he's the one who actually hired me in there. And when I was there, I, I picked up with the animation. Um, I started with, uh, with game testing, then I went to background art, then I went into level design, animation, then into the game directing and that's where i stayed until sharif gave me the call at tiktok um but sharif has a whole other path that came before starting on tiktok <laughs> oh well we can talk about that let's brag about you some more so like 
Mark had some real amazing work done at, at WayForward, like, and I was like, dude, you have grown so damn much. Like, he was he was the art director on Boyness Blob. I don't know for if you you played uh, oh, Boyness yes. Blob. Yes, I played on the Wii, but not, not yeah, yeah. That's the one he played, or the one he made made with Sean. Um, and um, and he also worked on Contra Four, Blood Rain, like really really amazing titles. Um, so I was just like totally impressed and then one day he kind of pinged me out of nowhere and he was like you know I'm, I'm thinking I can do more you know what, what's going on with you guys and I was like man we'd love to have you so he came over and, and joined us um, and he brought the concept of Pip you know like maybe a week later he said I have this idea what do you think I was like, this is our first original IP. This has got to be our first original IP. We're going to do this first. So we'd been doing work for hire, you know, as a studio kind of. Pays the bills. Definitely pays the bills. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we had a, and, and it helps us find like other team members to like, and, and bring in people that we, we knew from other places that we wanted. Like uh, some of my friends that worked with me at Disney joined, some of my friends that worked with me at Nickelodeon joined, you know, some of my way forward friends joined, you know, people that I met throughout the industry. We kind of all kind of came together to make TikTok and, uh, and Mark really leads the creative team and, and does an incredible job too. Fantastic. Well, that's, Quite a lineage there. Well done. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um, so you kind of answered this next question, maybe, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Next question is, what are your biggest influences? Now, I have a lot of developers sort of like, sometimes they could silence the other end of the line, like, what? What do you mean? Um, <laughs> so let me expand on this. Um, what I mean by biggest influences is, what is, your, what is the thing that gets your creative juices flowing? What is the thing that you've always find yourself orbiting, whether you like it or not? Uh, and it could be anything. And, uh, yeah, so that's really it. What is the – it could be your dog. It could be um, <laughs> another developer. It could be a game that you keep on playing a lot of. Um, it could be your cat, although that's unlikely because cats all try to kill us. Um, so, <laughs> so what is the thing that, that you, after all these years of working in, in industry, what is the thing you found that you've been most influenced by? Uh, for me, it's team members, to be quite honest. like I mean, we've, we've kind of all just kind of brainstormed different ideas together, and, and it's just been really kind of iterating on each other's best ideas so like i think collaborating with each other really is the biggest form of inspiration and i mean we could say something like i really want to make a game about my dog and everybody <laughs> will climb onto the it's true it happened like <laughs> we were like shocking, but... <laughs> we were like you know what before we go out with pip we need to test what it would be like to do an original ip and what what kind of challenges we have so let's just do something quick and to market, you know, that would get us like, you know, a really good, you know, polished small little gem out there. And uh, I want to do it with, you know, maybe my dog's personality because my dog is funny. And so <laughs> Mark clamped onto it and said, I got this idea, you know, and, and then Kathy started chiming in, Garth, and everybody kept on iterating. And then we came up with uh, Pogron, which was had so many different weird iterations where we had like a coffee man chasing the pug and he would dip him in coffee at the end. It was, it was really strange, but, um, and that could also be the second influence, which is beer, you know, yes. <laughs> it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll definitely make a coffee man eat a pug, which is kind of strange. <laughs> I was joking about the dog. <laughs> Little did you know that we actually had the dog. <laughs> We don't brag about pug. We we definitely that was a quick to market something that we that we made you know to just kind of test the waters. But um, but it's cute for it is what it is, and it it definitely uh, did did well for us. So and kind of was our gateway drug into into adventures of Pip. Yes, I guess for me, my my influences outside of just saying video games and other games of the past i'd say um you know legos <laughs> toys from the 80s you know those those are the kind of things that really um 
push your imagination. And I even have a little box of Legos, Shreve knows this, in the office that I use every once in a while to mock up little demos of, Do you know, I, I want to make a game that's like this. And so I just put together some Legos and just, uh, you know, I've got a lot of the old, old bricks, half-chewed half bricks. So. <laughs> I'm going to share something with you now. Um, I've told this story a lot of people, but my birthday's right next to Christmas. It's like the 29th of December. It's really close. Mm-hmm. So I got as a kid, I got a lot of joint Christmas and birthday presents because you know my it was just hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know I got a lot of kids, like friends, like oh it's my birthday on August the third. Like have fun with that. I'm not bitter. <laughs> no, what you're Jehovah's with? No, I'm not. I'm just no, no mind. <laughs> so I'll get these stupidly large presents. You see, um, and I could. I mean, I've found that there's lots of toys in the US that didn't make or in the UK that didn't make its way across the US and vice versa so there was a Skeletrix do you know what that is it's like a slot racing car thing I got one of those massive sets that was amazing but the one talking about Lego okay I got a massive Lego castle nice. really it was a full on it even had a working drawbridge <laughs> What? It was, and it had four turrets and a turret in the middle. It was it was huge. Did, did, it shoot, did the cannons shoot? No, or... there was no cannons, but there were uh, there were arrow slots, which was which did we did me fine. That that was enough. That was <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, Lego. Jeez, that's like a, a tile set that you could use right now in Adventures of Pip. Just get that Lego tile. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first. It was before the licensing. We because I'm very old, so it was, it was back in the mid '80s. So it was like, or maybe even earlier than that. Actually, probably late '70s, early '80s. And it, yeah, we late '70s actually. Yes, it was because remember I was going crazy at Star Wars at the same time. So and it was like it was before the licensing we now have. So it was really just medieval madness you know it's just like <laughs> lock yourself out <laughs> the best yeah, I know. you have the, the ones like the pirate ships they would have the cannons that sh- that shot pieces of lego and yeah that was after my time yeah that was after but yeah but oh, wow lego yeah. <sighs> anyway um so that's that's great yeah inspired by lego many many things and people have been inspired by Lego. Architects, mainly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and engineers. Um, but, uh, okay. So, and then, of course, like other games, you know, like if oh. you look at, you know, when we're kind of looking at level design options for a game like Pip, you know, we're, we go through a lot of different games. You know, we'll go through Castlevania, Metroid games, and then we'll go into like Mario games, and we'll even play games like Rayman and like a bunch of just to kind of get different ideas from different level designs. That because Pip is a very unusual kind of gameplay mechanic between the evolution and de-evolution um, gameplay. It's kind of like you know, is it like Mario where you eat a mushroom and you get large, or is it more like you know Castlevania where you gain a skill? You know, like all of a sudden you now have you know double jumps. So, um, is, what kind of level designs work with that? And it's really kind of of things like a hybrid for a game like Pip. So a lot of games that are out there in, in in the space like Donkey Kong Country between switching between different characters, you know, it's like these are the things that kind of also help drive the inspiration. So when we have the team, you know, you look at the collaboration when you have like, you know, someone like Mark who's very, extremely creative, just kind of like where that's rooted in. And then at, at the end of the day, it's also kind of like, looking at great games that have inspired us to become developers, you know, and playing them for, for more inspiration. Yeah. I, speaking personally, I, I recognize some super meat boy stuff in there. There was yeah. some wall jumping elements. Go, Oh go oh, here we go. <laughs> 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 now my muscle memory for another game is now kicking in. So yeah. yeah. What's what you about to say? What's really interesting is, um, is not only looking at mechanics from these games of the past, but trying to see what we need to make adjustments on based on players today. Because a lot of these kids today who are playing these games didn't grow up on Mario or or things like that. They grew up on Halo. So um, it's very interesting to see what, what people, what's intuitive to kids now that was, that's much different from us, you know, in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We, 
yeah, punishing difficulty was something that we just accepted as a way of things, but now it's a gameplay feature. <laughs> it's just like, do you want this game to kick you in the testicles? Yes. Make it hard then. Okay. Right. So, um, who do you most admire in the in the industry then? Who, who is any developer or person or thing or pet that you particularly admire uh, who's working in the industry? Um, Apart from each other, of course. I was going to say, there's like... <laughs> You know, like, honestly, for me, I, I like um, when I hear about stuff on Miyamoto and how he comes up with some of his games. I like that mm-hmm. a lot of his influences come from nature and the world itself, not just other games. And I, I like that idea behind game development is that, you know, a lot of the things that you find fun in games comes from what you find fun just in your normal life. It doesn't have to be, I like this game because I liked it in a previous game. It's like, what was the influences of those games? So it's, it's that kind of thing that I really like. Okay. For me, um, you know, I could, you know, kind of look at, at past designers and, and, you know, I could kind of say their names, but like, you know, recently, I think the people that are most inspiring to me are the other indies that are out in the space, and probably Sean and the, and the Yacht Club team. You know, uh, Ian Flood and and Wozniak and all those guys kind of they came together and they did a very uncompromising game with Shovel Knight. You know, and I, I thought that was kind of inspiring for the studio too to kind of see that. And we're actually friends with those guys. And I remember when they were first splitting off from Way Forward to do it. Um, and then uh, just kind of their the way that team works is really motivating. So I, I think they do inspire me. I think yeah, Shovel Knight's an excellent example of a game. that's like, oh, it looks sixteen, but no, that 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 is sixteen bit. <laughs> that's, that's how they play. That's how. Why is it flickering? That that's I know. <laughs> you can't remember those sprites flickering, can you? But they did. Like, oh God, why does it look like? Oh, God, yeah, you haven't played a snares on for a long time, have you? So I saw I love their brain decision, like when people say, oh, it's 16-bit like. It's like, yes, but no 16-bit could ever do that, <laughs> what you're seeing on the screen. But, but no, Shovel Knight, she says, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we're just like, we're going to force these limitations. Why? Because it's a decision we made. Yeah, and, and, and when yeah. you look at like all the polish, you know, that's happening in every screen, you know, you kind of just say this is a very uncompromising game. This game yeah. was yeah. was was something that they did not cut corners on. They just really gave it everything, you know. It was like, and and it it certainly paid off for them. So we're not only are they inspiring, I'm also extremely proud of those guys. So, hey, Sean. <laughs> there is um, there's there's a game I, I those at PAX as well. I'm not sure you, sure you saw it was. It's called uh, Cannon Brawl, um, and uh, they very, very, very polished game. You can tell, similar to what you're describing there, constant polish, constant polish. And uh, there's only two of them made it. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's just amazing talent out there, and uh, you wouldn't know it when you when you play the game. Like there must be a team of at least fifteen. Nope, two. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know. It's it's amazing what happens when you pour your all into it, and I mean that's what I'm, I'm happy to say that you know you see that in the group that's here too. You know, I think Garth, who actually wanted to be on the interview, but it said I'm just going to program instead, <laughs> so, <laughs> so he stayed back there. Um, and he's actually programming. I might try to get him to come in here and say hi at least. But um, yeah, or, or worse still, to say well, hit this is the interview, then play it to him after it's done. Uh, when it go when it goes out line, I should have been on the show. Yes, you should have done. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to a strange Englishman. Six thousand. You're not that strange. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't heard the questions I'm asking about Adventures of Pip yet. Then you'll go. I'm sorry, the, the interview's over. Um, Kick me in the testicles. <laughs> <laughs> My last question to about you, and then we can talk about specifics about Adventures of Pip. What are you playing right now? It's my favorite question because I like to gives me a hint about the type of stuff you like to make. Although that's really the case, I've found a lot of developers who are making an MMO or some other or a MOBA or something. Like, what are you playing a lot? Oh, NHL. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, but and then they bang on for thirty minutes about NHL. So, what do you two? Are, what are you? What's diverting you away from what you should be doing? <laughs> so, I've been playing NHL. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, oddly, I've been playing uh, like a lot of Castlevania: Dawn of Sorrow um, right now, which is probably not the the best point of reference for Castlevania, but I just wanted to play it again. Which because, one's that? Forgive me. Which one is so, that? So, gosh, which one? Um, I'm playing it for 3DS right now. It's the one... Uh, it's got, like... Oh, it's three, a 3DS game. Okay, I just want to know where it was. No, it was Game, Game Boy Advance, I think. It was oh, no, no, D- DS. It was Oh, you know what? Maybe it was DS. You're right. Yeah. It, I'm yeah. on a 3DS. He's playing it on his 3DS. Sorry. There were so many. There were so many. There are so many Castlevania games. I lose track. Uh, <laughs> My 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 focal point is Symphony of the Night. It's like a little orbit. I mean, everything else is orbiting around that game, in my that's, opinion. But uh, like yeah. that's the 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 best I think, or the quintessential like Castlevania game that everybody plays. So yeah. But like I wanted to try Donosaurus again. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's fine. Um, and then I'm also playing Guacamelee, which oh, is on what? What are you playing it on? I'm just curious. I'm, I'm playing it on an Xbox um, Xbox One right now. Um, did they release it on that? I, 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 I'm amazed they make any games on there. No, sorry, sorry, Xbox fans. Sorry, that was not right. <laughs> sorry. I've been playing a lot of PlayStation 4 games a lot, and so that's why. I own an Xbox One, but I play a lot of PS4 games. So, um, But Guacamelee, my favourite platform for that was the Vita. Lovely. Yeah? Yeah. Just, just really, just, I think there's some sort of lag thing going on in my head. If the screen's right in front of my face and the controller's right next to the screen, I am awesome. Uh, but if it's the same game on the screen across the room, not so much. <laughs> so, uh, have you finished it yet, or are you just pl- you're plowing your way through? Um, Guacamelee? No, I'm still playing my way through right now. Mm, let's see, I'm pretty close to finished. Let me see. Which was, I just killed the uh, three... Uh, the boss with the three heads. Uh, oh, sorry. No, no, that's not really he like shows up. He's like a mariachi in the very beginning. You, everybody who played it saw it in the intro. So. Ridiculous game, but very, very, very well put together. The game very put together. Lots of lots of reference to you know old school games. You know, there's a lot of like you know Metroid reference, obviously, in there too, and and even Castlevania, like I Am Error, is in there as well. So I mean, there's some really really fun little things in there, which uh, I'd like to see and see if I could catch them all. We're all playing games right now to, to as research slash <laughs> entertainment. <Yeah>. So <laughs> not really too much on the side. We just downloaded Mega Man 7 in the office, right? That was 7? Yeah, 7 just came Speaking out. Speaking of games kicking people in the testicles. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> all still hurt from Mega Man 7. <laughs> But you know, it, it's it's one thing to play these when you, when you're just having fun. But when you're trying to analyze all the different enemies and all the ways the characters jump and stuff, it, there's a lot of stuff to appreciate and really, um, you know, it's a whole different experience. Yeah, I think I've encountered a lot of platform games in the indie space, and that's a discussion we could have later on in the show. But you know, Adventure Pip it doesn't fall into this problem. But I found that for some reason. A lot of them, there's a spate of them, of just having these terrible floating controls. You know, just very imprecise. Yeah. All the surfaces seem to be covered in grease. So you just hit it and then you slide off. And like, yeah. what is this? I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It's just really, I mean, I, I called it the, you know, little big planet syndrome because that suffered from it horrifically, in my opinion. It was mm-hmm. just so floaty. The controls weren't at all precise. And I thought to myself, have you ever played Mario game in your life? (laughs) Because, you know, the game shouldn't punish you for its own inadequacies. It should be the other way around. That's why Mario is so successful, because when you screw up, it's your fault. It's your fault. (laughs) Exactly. And that's, you know. That's that's exactly what, like with Pip, we keep thinking, we have to make sure that the player has you know, the best controls, you know, the most control, too, so that he they can, you know, because the level design is very is very challenging, you know, especially as you get further down, um, if, if further in the game, you know, you're going to definitely uh, hate us if we don't give you the best control 
people to use in those situations. You don't want to be. We don't want you ever cussing. Damn it, TikTok gamers! Why the fuck did Pip just do that? He should not yeah. have done that. You know, we yeah. want it to be. You know, and we're, we're still working on our controls. So you know, uh, it's it's something that we can still keep tinkering at, tinkering at, have people play through it, see what works best, and then you know make more adjustments. Because there's there comes a point where. You, you want to take your influences from your previous games, make sure you do it just right, and then see what you can do to push it a little further, especially since, you know, there's no two games that are exactly the same. No, nor am I asking for that. I'm just asking for one that's controllable. Uh, yeah. Is that too much to ask? Um, apparently it is. Um, <laughs> but I've actually sort of challenged this developers. Like, why, you know, I've sat there in demo. I said, why is this floating around? Why is this skidding off from this? Yeah, and they they're okay with it. Like, no, you shouldn't be. This is horrible. You know, <laughs> be diplomatic about it. But I'm saying you need to work on that because this is yeah, frustrating. Like interviews. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's so, the next question. It's going to be like, why? it is the next question. Why can't I? No, no, that's the stuff here. So that's the end of the first half of the show. Ray, oh. and uh, and then we talk, we can now, although we've been talking about it for most of the show, talk about um, formally. Adventures of This is it. You now have the floor, gentlemen, but you haven't had it already, uh, to give us your pitch for Adventures of Pip. Well, I'll give you my 10-second pitch. This is the one I gave to everybody at PAX since I had to do it like 100 times. Brilliant. (laughs) So it's like, wait, stop, stop. This is a game. It's a platformer. You start off as a single pixel, and as you defeat enemies, you can absorb their pixels into you, and you become a higher resolution. And as you become a higher resolution, you gain more abilities. And that is the pitch that draws everybody in. It's like, yeah. Okay, I'll check that out. <laughs> it is a single bright red pixel, isn't it? It yeah. is a single bright red pixel. I mean, we're we're probably the shoddiest salespeople in the galaxy. I mean, seriously, <laughs> like when it came to the, like the. I mean, this is really an amazing game. Like in terms of actual evolution and gameplay, it's it's actually got it integrated directly into you know the the gameplay. Evolution is not this kind of slapped on idea that. Well, it's it's not not to be fair, and I'll try to help you now because that's what I try to do. I this is the point where I tease stuff out of you, and then we get onto the questions. But you de-evolve as well, don't you? I mean, there's the fluid mechanic which requires you in order to get through the level to de-evolve, then evolve again. Yeah. Yep. So you, in order to gain more pixels, you have to take them from your enemies. But then when you want to de-evolve manually, you can do it at any point and just release pixels from your body. That's right. So that that is a gameplay mechanic that we have in there. Um, One thing that, I mean, as far as what Sharif was saying about um, how... Evolution is a real is really tied to our story and our gameplay mechanic. A lot of people look at our game or look at the description of our game and they say, "Isn't that exactly what Evil Land was?" And <laughs> no, no, you got to play it. You got to see it. It is Evil Land. I, I I enjoyed playing that game, but it's pretty much just an adventure with the idea of gaming evolution just caked on top of it. It isn't integrated into the gameplay itself so that is something that i want to make sure people understand is that the whole idea of your character becoming higher resolution and the pixels and everything it's not just there for retro's sake it's there because the story ties around that whole idea of being a single pixel and gaining more pixels to have more abilities i'm confused have you seen these questions already (laughs) (laughs) because that's question number three 
foul person. Uh, we'll expand on that later on because I, I have a similar opinion, but another observation on that with regards to Evo Land. There's nothing wrong with Evo Land. Well, uh, but we'll talk about it later. But it is the, the book of. Stop it. Stop going ahead. Um, so. Uh, so that's a 2D platformer with this extraordinary, extraordinary mechanic of your character changing their abilities depending on how defined they are on the screen. They start off as a single pixel, uh, but then they evolve into something akin to a 16-bit. Am I right in saying that? Or are you going to yell at me? It's about 16-bit that gets to the maximum, isn't it? You go to 16-bit. Yeah, single pixel 8 to 16. Exactly. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, just on, on the single pixel... Did you ever consider, rather than having them as a pixel, or better still, <laughs> something even less than a pixel, a character? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, Rogue, you're an at sign. Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> so you actually have him even worse. Like, he's, and I'm not sure what he could do, like what he can't do, maybe to sort of roll around at the bottom of the screen as an at sign or something, but it might be quite funny. To do yeah. that, just like to maybe that's its infancy, like yeah. you know, backstory. Like it was first an embryo to just be like an at sign, <laughs> <laughs> because that was back then. There were no graphics at all. You yeah. know, that was the thing. There was just the characters. It was, uh, granted, the characters are made out of pixels, but that's another issue for you to programmers to argue over. But I'm talking about you know a character, and that's what you know. You have these ASCII games. <laughs> and you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, and again, I'm very old. And there was a game that I played. It was Space Invaders, and everything was made out of just ASCII characters. <laughs> you know, your snipes. Yeah, the the lasers were just asterisks that were flying up, and <laughs> and there was no sound. It was black and white. It was crap. <laughs> well, you enjoyed it because that's what you had. You know, <laughs> you didn't know any better. You well, know? actually, I did. I was, I was an arcade down the road, but that's not the point. <laughs> you know, it just, I didn't have any better at home. So it's so funny. It's kind of like when when like MMOs were muds. Really, you remember yeah. like the old school muds? I do. Like- I do. I remember playing those, and they were crap. Uh, but yes, it was. <laughs> it was a start. I, I I I've been playing MMOs since Meridian Fifty Nine. Do you remember that? Bloody hell! I don't. No, no, that's the that's the world's first three D MMO. It's gone now. But that must have been when I was in Bosnia. What year was that? Nineteen ninety six. Okay, I was in Bosnia. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't miss anything um, <laughs> in terms of MMOs. Um, but uh, how did we get onto that? Yeah, so think about that. An at sign be hilarious. People just just like man, that's really all he could do is roll around at the bottom of the screen. That's all he could do. Yeah. If you see that in the game, you get yeah. to say, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Just put it on the whiteboard. What about this? You probably have stuff thrown at you, but at least try. Please try. Um, so, <laughs> so here's my first proper question. Ready? Hope you okay. stick down for this one. So the demo does an excellent job of explaining the core mechanic of how the player evolves and devolves as they make their way across the level. How did you come up with this concept? Well, one thing about the demo and how you evolve and devolve in the, in the level, it's, it's very linear at the moment. And in the demo, that's, that's one of the things that I think is probably the weaker elements in the demo. What I want to do in the actual game is make sure that there are split paths and options for players to see, you know, do I want to take this top path? I see there's something up there. I know I need to figure out an Evo or Devo solution to get up there. Or do I want to just go down this regular path? So it's something that I don't want to be very linear because then you're stuck in this lock and key mechanic where it's like I I reach this section, I see I need to Devo, I press the Devo button, and I get through. It's not fun. So that's something that um, we're going to make sure in our level design that we offer a lot of these different pathing options so that players make the choice do I want to evolve here? Do I want to devolve here? And it, it'll tie into the story on teaching the player, hey, you know, you don't always want to be at the highest evolution. That's not always the correct answer. In the story, we're trying to teach you that this character started from one pixel and everybody else in the village in the entire kingdom is a higher resolution. And depending on your resolution, that depends that 
places you, you know, your status in society. And what it's we called wanna... Pip, for heaven's sake. <laughs> or maybe Act. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he's, if, he's, if he's the lowest form of society, God help characters, because they're like the dregs. <laughs> but, you know, you play through the game, and the gameplay teaches you that every step of your evolution always matters. It doesn't matter if you're the highest or the lowest. They all have an importance. They do. They do. Although when I'm when I'm and Pip, I suddenly regress into I'm playing Thomas's alone. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Is this Chris? If it's Chris, he's a jerk because that that player is awful. But no. Um, sorry, Mister Bithell. It was great. So again, you've rushed ahead to question four with the level design. What? Do you, have you seen these questions already? People are awful. Um, so. Um, where was I? Question number two. Um, how many, so many people, we said this before, but um, many people um, see games like Adventures of Pip and describe it as 16 bit. Okay. Well, what I'd like to know is how much of a 16 bit machine would be able to do what you're doing, do you think? Sounds like an odd question, but um, knowing your background, you were actually working in that kind of environment back in the day. So if you were trying to make Adventures of Pip, on a GBA, for example, what would you do? Probably a different animation system first, though. I mean, like, honestly, to, to because I think looking at what we have in there, an 8-bit game could probably handle, or 8-bit machine could probably handle everything we're doing. Right. I think the only thing that's, except for the animation system that we have in there right now, which is, because, you know, like... Yeah, I can't, I can't really. Yeah, go for it. I, I really can't. So, think of... I mean, what one thing we were trying to do because I, I started in the industry doing pixel animation, traditional pixel animation, but because this game has this pixel evolution where you're constantly changing your resolution, doing one type of pixel animation for all the different resolutions just isn't going to look right. So, what we decided to do instead was move to something that's more like flash style animation. So that even the single pixel pip can have some, you know, some interesting movement, squash and stretch, and then as you evolve and get higher resolution, they all share the same animation engine. So it doesn't look too odd mm. having all these different characters in the same game. Yeah, and um, less flickering. <laughs> yes, no flickering. <laughs> yes, and more particle <laughs> effects and flow and and, and the, the scrolling would be well extraordinary and. Parallax, yay! <laughs> the boss stuff wouldn't be able to be done. I'm, I'm still thinking about the limitations of like Game Boy Advance engines and things like that. I'm like, maybe some of our boss fights wouldn't be able to be handled by that. But I think the core like level level mechanics and gameplay mechanics. It's, it's just a question I wanted to ask you because you know people say that dismissively, like you really shouldn't because you don't know really what you mean by that. If you say things like that, then. You haven't played on a SNES or even a Mega Drive or what have you for some time. Um, and when you do, you realize that oh, this, this is fun, but it's kind of clunky. And that's what I found with retro games. I do play retro games on occasion, but it's frustrating. Uh, I was playing a game called Rick, Jane, Rick Dangerous on the uh, Atari ST the other week for some research that I was doing. I'm doing an article about some stuff. And it was about um, Spelunky and how what, inspirations and... Yeah, it doesn't play too great. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's some of the stuff we take for granted now, the gameplay mechanics and design and, and you know, the, the solidity of the, the graphics and what have you didn't exist back then. They're still learning, still learning and uh, frustrating, really. But so, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I suspected that was the case. Yeah. So here's question number three, which, you know, you've kind of answered already, but I want to draw more of this out. So... How much has Evoland had any impact or inspiration uh, for making Adventures of Pip? I suspect none, uh, but uh, yeah, what, what was your blunt answer to that one? So um, as far as when I heard of Evoland, we, we were already pushing out the idea of Adventures of Pip. And as we were developing it, someone else in the office said, hey, have you seen this game, Evoland? So I look at him. At first, I look at it and I get scared. I'm like, yes. "Oh no, our game has already been made." Yes. Until I play Evo Land and I see it's a completely different game. 
Yes. So I think Evil Land is a nice romp through um, nostalgia. That's that's what I think it is. It's nice to play through it and and remember reminisce through the games that you've played in the past that are similar to that. Other than that, it's it's pretty much nothing like our game. Yeah. No. I was like scared about Evil Land like because uh, I think it was maybe Garth or, or Justin in the office said, you know, have you played Evil Land? And we're like, crap. Somebody, I mean, because like it's a good name. It is. It's a great name. And it's like, I talk to other devs and they go, God, man, I had this idea like five years ago and I just thought it was going to be too hard to do. <laughs> you know? So, so we're like, we're, the, we were the devs that were just, you know, either brave enough or dumb enough to try doing it anyhow. So when we saw that evil land was done, we freaked out at first, played it. And then we were like, okay, we're good. Yeah. So that was, um, uh, I think what I draw from it, maybe it's because of my nationality. I don't know. It's satire. Evo Land is actually satire. Yeah. If you play it objectively, and uh, I just sat there and go, you're laughing at the whole genre of action-adventure mm-hmm. games. For those of you who don't know, I don't want to plug it too much, but there's nothing wrong with the game. It's great, but it is very much self-referential satire. So if you played any 16-bit or 8-bit RPG in the last 20 years, you'd find this game hilarious because yeah. it laughs at all the tropes, say, all of them. Oh, remember that? Remember when my game did that? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all like that. Oh, look, now you've got sound. <laughs> Aren't we funny? Yeah. <laughs> I so, can go right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you can jump. That's it, I'm done. <laughs> so it became 3D. I was like, "Whoa, I'm 3D." Yeah. It, went to, it, it went to 32-bit. That's the, the other difference between you and uh, that's why that's the sort of leading question because it actually goes to 32-bit, well, the PlayStation era. Um, mm-hmm. So the, uh, Evo Land is, and it's not very long either. Why? Because it's a joke. Yeah. It's satire. <laughs> the whole thing is satirical. That's the point of it. Yeah, it's I don't a piece, want to you know. Just in case I see those developers, <laughs> it's no, it's nothing wrong with that. It's fantastic they did a satire. There should be more games like that. Look at Stanley Parable, brilliant. Yeah, it's a good game. Like I enjoy it. I I bought it twice. Like I bought, yeah. <laughs> I bought it once for the office and I bought it once for home. So I mean, I I really like the game. I, it's just to draw a comparison between Evil Land and Adventures of Pip is like. Not really. Uh, the only not- com- the only commonality is the the change in the in the character from very simple sort of eight um, bit graphics up to sixteen to thirty two, exactly. but it's it's a linear thing. Once he gets there, yeah. that's kind of it. Whereas yeah. you and Adventures of Pip has taken that. So well, actually, you know, I'm going to go up and down the scale like a crazy person, <laughs> and that's fine. And that's fine. Right so, final question. I oh, know, sad face. It's coming to an end. <laughs> um, when designing levels, again, see, I told you. <laughs> all the answer this, maybe. <laughs> when designing levels, how did you get to grips with the fluidity within which Pip changes his abilities on the fly? Um, so, that's the, the best way I'd describe it. It feels very fluid when you change from... 8-bit guy to 16-bit guy and then back down to 1-bit guy and then maybe down to 0-bit when you do the character. Come on, you're going to do it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just just, <laughs> just uh, the whole how on earth are you going to... Because you've talked about it, you've whacked lyrical about it, you're intent to do that, but how how challenging are you finding that to make that fun and engaging and not, as we spoke about earlier again, frustrating? It was it was quite a process to land where we got with the demo because at one point we we even had seven levels of pip evolutions and it just it got to a point where um, because what we wanted to do is every enemy you killed you get exactly that many pixels into you and you get that much bigger and you gain a little bit more abilities but then it just got to a point where players were confused as to which level pip could do what so. That's why we narrowed it down into three very specific groups yeah. and tried to let the player try and decide, well, which of these three do I need to get past this area and try and figure it out based on the abilities that we gave each one, the little clues that we have. Yeah. So that's that's sort of the main thing. Outside of that, the other element was how do you evolve and how do you de-evolve? 
And what we did is you evolve from enemies, which is still what we do now. But before we had it where you devolve by enemies hitting you. And so you lose pixels. And that made sense. But the idea behind that, it just got messy because people would then want to keep committing suicide to get past areas. Or they just wouldn't want to get hit and always stay as pip level 3 the entire time because you have more hits that way. Needless to say, it was like a lot of iteration, you know, like to make sure that the evolution evolution was, was working well together. And then, you know, the challenge is still heavy on the level designers. We just have good level designers. So it's uh, it's still trying to make each of those interesting moments between the de- evolution and evolution work. And um, once we refine the gameplay and the, the game controls, you know, to the point where you could where we had certain only three de-evolution or evolutions of Pip, and how we made them significant in each of the areas of the of the gameplay, and make de-evolution not lose player control. I mean, like there was so many different revs of this; it was kind of like crazy at some points. Yeah. But um, well, could be four. I'm just saying, could be four. Yeah. We're, we were thinking of four. <laughs> It's like we have it so tightly knit around these three right now that if we add a fourth, we have to really think about how how that would integrate itself into the. Yeah, it's we could do four as long as it makes sense, you know. As, as yeah. soon as I just think it'd be really funny as an Easter egg, like you I, just do something really dumb and you just like, okay, now you're an at sign. What? Yeah, you're an at sign. Deal with you it. Really you're an that. idiot. You're an at sign. Just have it wiggling on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That ass I get here, huh? Fade to black. <laughs> there you go. That's when you die. You just become the character. It's yeah. Black and white. That's yeah, it all goes black. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's Big Chip, isn't it? Big Chip went black and white. But yeah. <laughs> when you got worse at the game, it suddenly goes black and white. And like, oh, really? Really going to do that now? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I said, it, you answered the question brilliantly because this is what I suspected playtesting to see yep. what works throw stuff at the wall and go this doesn't stick nope but that did that little bit did so let's do that a couple of times and then this evolves from there yep. but uh, I found it immensely um, satisfying when I figured it out I know yep. the demo doesn't really it's a bit linear you're quite right it is but it, it still gives a, a lovely idea of the of what eventually it will turn into yeah, yeah. Pretty so. much the last stage of the demo is the one that gets you thinking the most on how do I want to approach this puzzle in order to get this villager. So it's stuff like that that we want to offer throughout more of the main game. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those players that explores more than collects. So I'm not a big star collector. I'm just like, I want to see what else they've made. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big, a big fan of. Uh, the creators of video games and the worlds they've made that's why for example when i played wow i actually joined a raiding group not because i particularly wanted to because i had to in order to see what else the makers of the game had made and unfortunately i had to join 39 other people because that was back in the day with 40 man raids to actually experience the rest of the game it was bizarre <laughs> but uh, yeah it's a detail for another time so events to pip will be released on Windows, PC, and Mac. Is that right? And Nintendo Wii U. Yes, sir. And if we hit our stretch goals, I mean, we've got a lot of support from Sony. We've got a lot of support from um, the guys at Microsoft. So we we got the PS4 and the Xbox One in our stretch goals now. We're talking about adding Vita into uh, with the PSN One. We're still trying to work that out. Nintendo's coming to visit us on the 29th, you know, because I think they really want us to support the new 3DS. So that's really exciting too. So, yeah, that I thing mean, looks crazy, doesn't what, it? Oh my god, what they've god. done! I think the people will get excited about a second thumbstick. That's lovely, but I've already got one because I'm, you know, Monster Hunter. So sorry, but you know, I don't want to. <laughs> uh, but the, the fact that you can tilt it and it's still 3D, wizardry. That's just yeah, wizardry. <laughs> Yeah. They're amazing. So I mean, we we love them. They're and and they're coming out to see us. So like you know, there's a lot of opportunity for us to hit other platforms as long as we hit those stretch goals. You know, and you know if if the Wii U does well and the and the PC version and the and the and the Mac version do well, then we will still hit those platforms. It'll just 
be on, you know, later. So we do want to kind of try to get everything, you know, in the initial launch, but it's all going to be dependent on stretch goals. And we have a lot of great ideas, too, that are in the stretch goals. And Mark's going to actually release an update tomorrow about that. Um, Is that 12 days? We're under 3K? We're under 3K away. To hit our initial goal. And we have 12 whole days, and we're hoping that, you know, the more awesome interviews like this one that get done, like the more exposure we get, the more that, you know, we'll get to, to those stretch goals so that we could really make the game um, everything it can be and on every platform so everyone could enjoy it. Yeah. Fourth of October, everyone. That's when the Kickstarter ends. So if you want to get in on the action before it uh, lands on the various platforms that just mentioned and the others we mentioned as well, then get on it. Because, you know, I've done Kickstarters, I've backed Kickstarters before, and I've got burnt, not on video games, but board games. Um, spoke about this on the show before, sorry everyone, but, you know, import duty. <laughs> Had to pay the game twice. Oh. You know, yeah, yeah, it's like, you pay 20, 20 pounds for the game, yeah, now it's 20 pounds for import duty, like, what? <laughs> So yeah, that's pretty nasty. It's thankfully the the, the the lot of people have actually caught on to this and like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that. <laughs> they've um, they've first uh, cleaned their act up, but yeah, back in early days, oh, I got burnt. Not good. Anyway, so I wish you the best of luck in your future endeavours, especially on this Kickstarter. Uh, and uh, you've been fantastic guests on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks um, for having us. That was fun. It's uh, it's been a real real treat to have you on, and uh, maybe we'll have you on again when you've got uh, um, something else to share to tell us about. That'd be awesome. But in the meantime, like I said, best of luck, and um, yes, we'll maybe see you again soon. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, everyone. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory, and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com bye